Welcome to another episode of Nerds Amalgamated. I am the DJ, and with me today, I have the Professor. Hello. So, uh, how you going? Not, uh, not dead yet. <laughs> I've been absolutely flat out at work, but um, luckily nobody there seems to have coronavirus yet. Oh, same at my end. Oh, everybody's panicking and... <laughs> Panicking and buying and panicking and buying. Yeah. I still regret the fact that I did not buy shares to Tissue Paper Company. Boy, I would have made a lot of money. You would have lost a lot of money so far. I the, know. the market's down a really long way right now. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. But the craziness. My God. I mean, how many people, yeah. how many cases are there now? Like 100,000? I'm not sure. But um, yeah, I've been busy getting everyone ready to work off site. Waiting for the uh, word to come down to shut everything down. Yeah, so I'm looking at the update, by the way. Number of coronavirus cases is now 221,926 cases with 8,999 deaths so far. And at this point, the the number of events cancelled is... Like, a couple of weeks ago, we were kind of keeping tracking, track of it, mentioning what events got cancelled. At this point, it's easier to just say what isn't cancelled. Huh. Was it Glastonbury's cancelled? I mean, holy moly. Yeah, all the music festivals are gone. Yeah. Oh, man. The cr- and uh, shops are shops are all um, price gouging and trying to compete. Yeah, my uh, scout group's gone entirely online right now. Huh. The um, Officially, we don't have to yet, but... Uh, We decided we would get ahead of it, and so that's a lot of fun. I come home from my IT job, and I go straight to doing IT to get people hooked up to the voice chat. (laughs) This is not going to end well, is it, this whole whole craziness? Well, no, it's not going to end well. There's already 8,000 deaths. The stock market is the lowest it's been. uh, Like, it's crashing faster than it has since the recession in the 80s Hmm. there's um about the only good side is that in places that have managed to clamp down on coronavirus their flu season has ended two months early (laughs) so china and korea for example would be Uh, i think it was hong kong and taiwan okay yeah they got to the point where because everyone's avoiding contact so much the regular flu doesn't have anywhere to go Hmm. Unfortunately, coronavirus is such a long incubation period that they reckon we'll be under um, travel restrictions and everything for six months. Yeah, yeah. So the madness will never end. Oh, it'll end. Just not for a while. Mm-hmm. I reckon actually we'll get to a point in a few weeks where everyone's already stocked up on toilet paper and everything they don't really need to be stocked up on because it's um, going to last longer than that anyway. But uh, I reckon in a few weeks, people will stop panic buying and we'll just settle into the new normal. And it'll suck for a while, but it's better than not doing anything to contain it and having thousands more people die. Yeah. I'm predicting in the next few months we'll, it'll be like the Salem witch trials, you know, when the minute someone coughs, they'll be like, he's a witch, get him, <laughs> burn him on the hey, stake. How do you think I feel? I have allergies. <laughs> I'm always coughing. <laughs> I physically can't stop coughing. 
every time I go to the shops, I feel like they're ready to tackle me and throw me in quarantine. <laughs> it's like, it, it's like we got we got our eyes on you, buddy boy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's pretty much it. <laughs> It's like the minute you cough, they got they, they got they got their they they got their aims on you. Yeah, Seal Team Six will burst through the windows. Red laser sights will appear on me. <laughs> It'll basically be that scene from um from Monsters Inc. Twenty three nineteen. We've got a twenty three nineteen. <laughs> <laughs> like what the hell just happened? Although I was thinking, I was thinking more of um in the in the um Aladdin movie with um genie when Aladdin's dad comes and genie says like oh we got Corey Red Corey Red everybody points their guns at you oh oh man oh yeah the unis are all shutting down now um yeah. Yeah, even today, what, what they were saying, um, QT's got the got first official case today. So that's yeah, something. It's going to happen sooner or later. Yep. <sighs> Anyways, um, we should get to the topics. So, our first topic is about interplanetary whack a mole, uh, which involves a very. Which involves NASA trying to rescue one of their landers. It's great, isn't it? The um, <laughs> the pioneer lander has a probe. They call it a mole. The idea is the mole will burrow into the ground, and they can use it to measure temperature at certain depths up to five meters. And so it burrows in, towing a cable with sensors behind it. And when it uh, when they got there, they realized the soil condition was different and the digger failed to actually dig. It just got, got stuck and unable to dig any further, um, not too far into the ground. So they started off trying to push it in by just applying pressure to the side so it would rub against the wall of the tunnel hmm. and be able to push against that. That didn't work. So they came back with the shovel and were like, okay, next option, hit it on the head, <laughs> which is a very delicate procedure. <laughs> so it's kind of like a, like that claw machine you get at the carnival, huh? Kind of. you got to get it really precise on a space of a couple of centimeters. And if you get it wrong, you wreck it. (laughs) The, um, yeah, the cable running from the probe to the lander isn't, uh, that thick. So, um, it's basically a flexible surface, uh, flexible circuit board. And I don't know why I said pioneer. It's a insight lander. Had a complete brain fart there. (laughs) Must be the corona, man. The f- first stages of corona, you know, it affects you, affects you in weird ways. <laughs> yeah. So they had to hit it right on the edge of this target that's about three and a half centimeters across, but it worked. Nice. So we, so we have confirmation that it actually worked. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so actually, today I saw uh, just before we started recording that they'd uh, managed to pull it off. Nice. So, so with that, so what, what's the um, end result? Well, it started digging again. So hopefully it'll get through to a denser layer of soil that it can dig in. Otherwise, the whole uh, mission's a bit of a mess. Well, not the whole mission, the whole experiment. Mm, fair enough, fair enough. I like the fact that um, there are a couple, there, this article highlights the problems that they face um, while doing this whole process. 
Yeah. Like for example, the tail itself, for example, it says extreme care will be needed in order, in order to ensure that um, the scoop does not touch the flexible PCB, which will likely be damaged if it, um, if it got pinched. Yeah, uh, those things, they're good for where they need to, things need to bend, mm-hmm. but they are pretty fragile. Yeah, yeah. And I also like one of the other problems is latency is going to be a huge problem as well. Yeah, because it takes a few minutes to get a signal to Mars. So you basically got to program it to reach out and push the probe. I assume they did it millimeters at a time to make sure they didn't <laughs> get it wrong. Oh, that must be real. I, I hate to be the guy that's controlling the robot that did the whole process. Can you imagine? No pressure. No, no pressure. You've got... The, the, you got millions and millions of dollars of robotic equipment, and you need to tap that one thing very, very lightly. No pressure. Yep. Um, I'm pretty sure the engineers in charge of this uh, have to be completely cool, though, because they mess something up. It will. You can't go out there and just plug it back in. Nah, it will take a long time. Yep. Say, uh, I like one of their quotes. I always thought, let's just let's ask Mark Watney. <laughs> To just go over there and just push a little bit on the mole. <laughs> well, that's a problem because Mark Watney came home. <laughs> right, I'm pretty sure the dates of the story, uh, either it hasn't happened yet or it's, um, or he's already home. <laughs> I think it's already home, but uh, yeah. So what, so what do you know about the history of this, um, project? Uh, I haven't really been following it, apart from when I found out that it was, um, like, I mean, hearing about it when it's had issues, but only the last couple of days that I've really been following it. Mm-hmm. Okay, so The Martian is set in 2035. <laughs> so it's probably faster to go and make a new one than it is to actually wait for Mark Watney to get there. <laughs> and that assumes Mark Watney's on the same side of the planet. Yep. Uh, but imagine if that if, if that mission failed. I wonder how devastated would those guys be? Well, I imagine everything's very devastating because these guys spend years working on their spacecraft. I like how um some of the one of the people that was working on the project um said about the um, technique is both techniques may eventually be used to fill the pit and then allow pressing on the surface of the filled section to provide friction to the mole below. And if it and it, if it doesn't if it didn't work, um, well, person also said, then I guess we'll have to conclude that probably there is a stone down there. That would suck because I don't think the uh, lander is equipped to pick it up and put it somewhere else at this point. Nah, it wouldn't. So I I reckon this will. Hopefully, this will bring much more information about Mars and what we know, and maybe update on the knowledge we know about Mars so far. Yeah. So, what's next, DJ? Uh, next up in our in our episode, uh, oh, uh, we've got a very. Why are you so surprised? You picked this topic. I know. <laughs> I picked this topic because it's a very, very delicate topic. <laughs> See what I did there. Wait where you are, I'm coming over to punch you. <laughs> so, as we were speaking earlier on, yeah, the coronavirus has um, hit a lot of places, and it has also now hit at Hollywood, and in devastating fashion. Very devastating fashion, to the point where TV shows are being um, postponed or cancelled, um, 
movies are being halted or delayed and events are also being um cancelled and delayed as well like one one such um tv show that's been suspended for now is the lord amazon's lord of the rings and that's been suspended for two weeks. Yeah, because uh. it's totally going to blow over in two weeks. <laughs> the reason two weeks of self-isolation is for people coming back from overseas. Mm-hmm. By the end of two weeks, um, back when they set that limit, they thought that within two weeks, you would either show symptoms or not. If you show symptoms, you're infected and you get put in isolation for longer. If you don't, there's a decent chance you're healthy and you can go back to the real world. Problem is, there's a decent chance you're not actually healthy because three quarters of uh, cases are asymptomatic, but still contagious. Mm-hmm. So, so uh, you know, even if you're healthy, you should be avoiding crowded places. Yep. Uh, so the New Zealand Herald um, was forwarded a Walmart copy of the announcement sent by GSR Production, stating, "In an abundance of caution, untitled Amazon project." has suspended production for the next two weeks, commencing Monday, March 16. This is done in an environment where travel restrictions directed at the control of COVID-19 are issued daily by New Zealand and most other countries. You know what? It's not. They're not going to be able to go back because New Zealand's closing their borders. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. they're um, slowly tightening their border control. And by the time the delay on this is finished... If anyone isn't in New Zealand already, they're not going to be able to go there. Um, The article also says that um, the memo goes on to cite travel and health safety concerns for the staff and for the cast and crew, as well as the concerns about travel restrictions, while details on compensation and other procedures will be coordinated on Monday. All members of the production are directed to not report to the set or to the studio without the express permission of your supervisor. I so probably don't hand this over to the media either. But. <laughs> yep. <laughs> oh, man. Can't imagine the compensation for this. This will be <laughs> pretty bad. Yeah. How much does a two-week delay usually end up costing a TV show? Oh, millions. So- <laughs> couple of thousands of millions, depending on how big, if it's a big budget, yeah, if we go up to millions, yeah. Like, I think Am- like I think the production value for Lord of the Rings uh, TV series up to a billion or something, if I recall. Yeah, it's a billion dollars. That's a lot of money. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So, yeah, that's gonna, that compensation better be good. Yeah, I'm sure they've got the uh, production insured. Mm. Uh, other series that's also being... Um, that's also been scared by the coronavirus is a mythic quest with the uh, showrunner Rob McKellany, the uh, writer and producer of that, uh, an actor who's moved from it's always sunny in Philadelphia to mythic quest uh, only to see second season halt for productions has challenged the studio behind all shows to keep paying people during the shutdown. He fears could last a lot longer than half a month. Yeah, I hope they do because um, it's going to be rough for everyone, especially for like, if they can't, they're working a kind of job that they can't work from home. So there's no way for them to actually make money from that right now. Yeah. 
He goes on to say, um, he goes on to say this, this, um, here's what most powerful people in our industry can do to help those in our community who need it most. Convince the studio to continue paying people during the shutdowns. This is a very complicated issue. First off, the studio who have not committed to continuing payroll are not evil. There are factors, there are many factors that have to be reconciled and it's easy to be on one side of things and make judgments. The truth is that continued payment for indefinite period is untenable. But recognizing that this will be over two weeks, a month, or three months, we're all we're all going to have to at some point decide what is a responsible return to work will look like. Uh, that this is what we have, we came up with. Hope it helps. Mythic Quest is going down for two weeks. Hopefully, the slow that slows the curve of these things and buys the healthcare system some time. Then, barring major developments, we'll, we will um, create a protocol for me- medical clearance for each and every person to return, including medics doing exam on everyone before return and then remaining on set for continued vigilance. Uh, the sets will be properly sterilized in accordance with CDC guidelines and we'll all be keeping up with basic common sense measures. Make no mistake, this is not ideal. A complete quarantine for a few months would be best, but that's not all. That's not going to happen with our total restructuring of life as we know it. And yeah. then, he, yeah. So he's going. So he goes on about how um, the stuff that's going to happen. The, the profited. Uh, many of us have profited, benefited the system in astronomical ways. Um, they need. Pro- they need to provide for themselves and their families. Um, he, he's also close with a couple of people in um, in positions of authority. And then he continue. He concludes by saying, "This only really works if everybody makes a commitment to help." Just shutting down without a plan is not an option. I am so fortunate in a position to help. I wouldn't be here without the support of the entire community. No one is. No one in my position is. So to my fellow Hollywood types, I'm sure you have you've been consumed by this already, and have probably en- enacted some kind of plan to protect your teams. But if not, it's time. If you'd like to discuss in any further details, slide uh, slide on into my DMs. <laughs> oh, good on you, Rob. Yeah, looking after your people. Yeah, yeah. What um, what I was just thinking. I wonder if this will have an impact on television, like the writer strike. Oh, a few months of people not working, and uh, well, a few weeks minimum of people not working. And are they going to still have to meet the same deadlines? Maybe, maybe not. But the problem with the writer strike was there were it it divided a lot of people in a sense where some people were for the strike, some people were not for the strikes. Like the coronavirus is a totally different beast in in actuality, well, though. If you think no, about it, no, because it's still a thing that's delaying work by a couple of weeks. It doesn't matter what the cause of the delay is. The mm. writers aren't going to work right now. So how are they going to handle that when they come back? Are they going to extend the deadlines? Are they going to rush everything out again and come out with the um, the 2008 problem where they had a bunch of shows that were half finished because they'd taken a break for the writer's strike and couldn't pump out enough quality content. So they had a bunch of shows that were pretty rubbish. Hang on a second. Um, so the effects on show... So, for example, the a couple of shows benefited from the strike by providing the networks with new material, like uh, Good News Week and Nash Channel 10 show. Um, new episodes came back. The Price is Right in America came back. Big Brother came, um, extended. Amazing Race extended, basically. 
a couple of shows benefited. A lot of show, a couple of um, a number none of, of those shows. shows not- um, none of those shows are heavy writing though. Yeah. Like Good News Week was comedians, so they would have written their own bits probably. Um, the other shows like Amazing Race doesn't really need writing. That's just filming people as they do things and then edit it into drama. Yeah. So I don't think this is the like. I hope it's not. The same as the um, writer strike, but I think it will have an effect. Yeah, but a lot of um, a couple of shows had shortened seasons. You're right, though. Yeah, and yeah, people lot say that season two of uh, Heroes, I think, was awful, and yeah. that they blamed <laughs> it on the uh, writer strike because they took you know that couple of weeks of strike meant that they then had to write a full season in less time and couldn't come up with enough ideas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, yeah. Um, also, the other movies that have been that have been extended. By the way, Fantastic Beasts as well has been is also going on hiatus. Uh, the Orville going on um is sh- shutting down over the Corona. Handmaiden's Tale as well. Yeah, that will. I'll provide a list on the show notes to um all the list the list of shows and movies that have been affected by this. So yeah, God knows how long. God knows. This this thing is not going to end. This thing is going to eat a lot a lot of Hollywood money. It's going to eat a lot of everyone's money. Yeah, yeah. Although what's interesting, what was interesting though, now when I think about it, is that if if TV shows and movies are not going to um, do anything to to um, adapt to the coronavirus, you know what? You know who the biggest winners in this radio radio companies right now must be must be laughing right now. I reckon audio dramas as well, because um, audio dramas and podcasts, you don't need to be all in the same place. And when you do, it's a pretty isolated job for the actor anyway, because they're locked in the booth. Yeah. I reckon it's um, a lot easier to keep a audio drama recording studio clean than it is to keep a movie set clean. Yeah. You know what, you know what they should bring back in terms of um, radio dramas? War of the what? World. We don't need more people panicking. <laughs> hey, it got them glued to the radio at least. But yeah, radio would be radio stations should be blasting in joy right now. They're saying, "Yes, we got more audiences now than more than ever." Yeah, they're still going to get people away from watching whatever reruns you're on. Yeah. And I've and I've also heard um, as well that they're going to be releasing a couple of movies early, like Frozen Two, for example, is coming to Disney Plus. Yeah. So that's going to be an so that's going to be an interesting play as well, like with a couple of movies come releasing to Disney Plus very quickly. <sighs> but anyways, um, moving along, um, Professor, you've got a story about something in relation to Minecraft. Yeah, that took you a minute. Did yep. you lose your place in the show notes again? Yep. <laughs> so, yeah, you got a story about Minecraft and the Forbidden Library. Yeah, making it sound more dramatic than it is. <laughs> Basically, some journalists and um, the group, uh, sorry, I've forgotten their name, Reporters Without Borders, have put together a library in Minecraft full of articles that are banned in countries where um, in in some countries. So Reporters Without Borders, Blockworks, advertising agency DDB Germany, and Media Monks have set up this library with um, articles from five countries, Egypt, Mexico, Russia, Saudi Arabia, and Vietnam, including uh, Jamal Khashoggi's articles. 
You Ooh. might remember Khashoggi as the uh, um, the American journalist who was lured over to Saudi Arabia and allegedly murdered. I mean, I thought he, he was Saudi Arabian himself. Yes, but he was an American citizen, I think. Oh, okay. I'll I'll fact check that. Yeah. Okay, so he's a U.S. resident. His children are citizens. Mm. But, um, yeah, they say allegedly because they probably don't want to piss off the Saudis. But I don't know how allegedly allegedly you can get when you have a recording of this guy going into the building, being grabbed, murdered, and having someone say, put your headphones on, it makes it easier when they pull out the bone sword to dismember him. Oh, <laughs> Yeah. This is like WikiLeaks all over again, isn't it? Well, that's sort of what this is about. It's like they can't shut this down without blocking all of Minecraft, really. Or um, by, well, they could block this particular server, but there's nothing stopping me from spinning up a copy of the server if they gave me a copy of the map. <laughs> so it's, um, you know, it's different to a website. It's designed to appeal to the youth. Yeah. They, uh, yeah, they're trying to reach the youth by doing this. And the, the building is absolutely gorgeous, though. They've got this gorgeous uh, classical Greek-style library with columns and fountains. Wow. Yeah. But the um, I think it's a, a great idea to – it's – an artistic statement, really. I don't know how many people are actually going to play on this. I'd be interested to see the numbers and find out who's using it and from where. But um, the um, it's an artistic statement about getting the youth interested in censorship and free news. Yeah. What's interesting about this is it feels like, we, it, as I said earlier, it feels like WikiLeaks, but it's not WikiLeaks in a sense where... Some guy just came in and stole all this data and just releases it to another person. This is like a collective effort. This is like a genuine collective effort. Yeah, yeah. It's um not about um you know WikiLeaks was a collective effort too, but it's not about just um it's not about just getting the information out there because they could already duplicate these sites to the dark net to WikiLeaks everywhere basically, but. Mm. Reporters of our borders have um, found this loophole because you can't really filter Minecraft traffic and scan it to see what's going on there. So theoretically, even if your um, website browsing traffic is encrypted, someone could break that encrypted encryption. Yeah. Extremely unlikely unless they happen to troll certain aspects of it, but still a possibility. You can't filter a Minecraft packet and look at it and say, this is a packet for an article that we were banned. I wonder how, how would the NSA and the CIA and Interpol react to this, though? The NSA and CIA probably don't like it too much. If there's, like, the articles are all from countries, other countries, but if they started sharing uh, more American stuff like WikiLeaks, you... Um, but if they start doing more more American stuff, the NSA and CIA would want to crack down on them. Mm. I mean, the uh, FBI years ago now wanted to gain access to every video game chat room and have them recorded and stuff because they reckon terrorists were using video games to track. Um, yeah, they were using video games to discuss attacks. Yeah, I heard about that. Yeah. 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 I wonder how Edward Snowden would react to this story, though. I think he'd be very happy with it because 
even though he's in Russia, which isn't a great place of press freedom, he's there basically because the Russians have decided keeping an American leaker in Russia is more insulting to America than handing him over. Even though he's still in Russia uh, advocating for a free media, his uh, work is more offensive to the U.S. than it is. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Problem for them. Yeah, yeah. I like one of the quotes um, from one of the people from um, Reporters Without Borders Germany saying, it says, uh, young people grow up without being able to form their own opinions. By using Minecraft, the world's most popular computer game, as a medium, we give them access to independent information. The the good part, the good thing about this is at least it removes that that veneer of propaganda. Like, you know how we will always get like, oh, Vietnam is the best country. Oh, Russia is a great country, you know? Yeah. This removes that veneer, basically. Yeah, it's getting through the um, propaganda. Yeah, you know which. Uh, uh, you know who I'd like to see um, duplicate this technique, though. Who? Encyclopedia Dramatica. Oh God, no! <laughs> Can you imagine they do this, though? I will point out, though, that it's funny that um, I've been reading this book recently called Sandworm about Russian hackers. Mm-hmm. Uh, basically, it's about state-sponsored hacking leading up to Russia's uh, attacks on the Ukraine. And at one point, it mentions the um, it mentions that Minecraft the Minecraft servers are attacked by actually sorry it it wasn't uh, Sandworm it was a DefCon talk yeah okay um that's uh that confused me a bit but anyway uh, the DefCon talk was talking about a hacker group who um, people in cybersecurity weren't too concerned with until they attacked Minecraft's login servers and started DDoSing that. And then they were like, right, that's it. We're done. (laughs) We're not, um, playtime's over. (laughs) Because uh, apparently a lot of, um, a lot of cybersecurity professionals happen to be gamers. Oh, no. (laughs) Yeah. This was in 2016, wasn't it? Ah, possibly. That would make sense, I think. Maybe. I'll have to look into it. (laughs) Yeah, I will see if I can find the talk. Should be in my browser history. Yeah. (laughs) But could you... Here's the the interesting question, though. Like, games nowadays are being used for other other things rather than gaming. Do you reckon this is becoming a norm? Like, we... Well, in um, a few minutes, we're going to talk about another case of that. <laughs> that is true. That is true. Yeah. So um, I think it's, especially right now, a lot of things are going to happen in games because it's more interesting to have something in a game than it is to have it in a, a flat 2D world. Like, even though you're not in the game, it's more immersive. You can browse the internet in real life, or you can, you know, watch a live stream, or you can go into a game and, spoilers for our next bit, <laughs> watch your school graduation, where people dressed in people's Minecraft characters dressed up in uh, graduation gear go and walk across the stage. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Scary. This is is very scary, though, but yeah. Why is it scary? I mean, it's just the whole, like, information being available through Minecraft. Anyone can get into, anyone can access to it. That's the point? Yeah, I get that. Why is that scary? Well, what if it was personal information? That's what I was trying to get at, so... Well, then that would be wrong. But this isn't personal information. So this isn't scary. Yeah. This is a, a triumph for free media. Yeah. It's not... You seem to think that just because the free... Just because reporters of our borders are doing this, then next it'll be how Anonymous distributes their um, password dumps from their latest hacking attempt. It doesn't have to be. Sure, they probably would use it if they saw a benefit to it, but... Yeah. Why would they? It's what they're doing. It defeats the point for what they're doing because they already have established distribution networks through Dark, Darknet and Tor. They, um, if you go to their website on the Darknet and download a data dump from a hacker group, it's easier than logging into a Minecraft server and copying it out from science or books or however they've written it down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, anyways, that'll be, that'll be another, we can talk about the whole censorship stuff at another time. Um, so, Professor... Information wants to be free. <laughs> Anyways, uh, Professor, what game have you been playing? I've been playing the Final Fantasy VII demo. Ooh. First it's impression? absolutely gorgeous. It's uh, one of the best-looking games I've ever seen. Nice. Graphics must be must be beautiful to, to every pixel. Yes. And there are a few points where frame rate dips... But I think they're pushing the PlayStation as far as it can go. So, which what, which um which blew you away first? Was it the graphics or was it the combat? The graphics, because the combat doesn't turn up for like three minutes. And does it come with the original soundtrack? Uh, I think it's remixes. Ah, but it it all it has the same tunes in it. Nice, nice. Uh, I won't go about the character, new character models though. Are they oh, they're very good. Like they somehow make anime style characters look like real people. The um the combat is a bit different. Well, completely different. You can set it to classic mode and play through it uh, in a way that's supposed to be much more similar to the original. So instead of going into turn based combat. It's more of a brawler, like Kingdom Hearts, or um, I was thinking God of War, but I could be wrong about that. But uh, yeah, so you run into a group of enemies, beat them up with your sword, and you can pause time to um, set a command to use a power move or cast a spell or whatever. Uh, Classic mode, I believe, only puts AI on both characters, so on all the characters, so that you don't have to run around hitting things yourself and you focus on the spells and abilities. So what's the biggest flaw you've encountered besides the combat portion? Uh, well, it's not a perfect remake. So a couple of weeks ago, I posted on our Facebook page asking people what the best remake is. And Black Mesa is a lot more true to the source than Final Fantasy VII, mostly because Final Fantasy VII has changed the combat so much. Yeah, yeah. So I think like people, absolute purists, are going to have a problem with it because it's not exactly the way they remember it. Yeah. But then for them, there was uh, there's the remastered edition from a couple of years ago where it's literally just the first, like the original game, but. Uh, with higher resolution. 
That's fair. Yeah. Level design must be pretty pretty beautiful to look at as well, hey? Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting seeing everything from a third-person perspective. Mm-hmm. Because in the old Final Fantasy game, level design is just re- was really weird. It was just, okay, this graphic, this graphic does not look right. Yeah, well, I think the original had painted backgrounds. Yeah. Which is um, stunning to look at, but then they look at even look- more stunning when you run them through a AI upscaler. Yeah, yeah. So, um, how many nerdy beanies would you give this one out of? Uh, well, since I'm going absolutely over the top about perfect remakes at the moment, I'll give it eight out of five. Ooh, you're getting. It's, it, this is getting good. <laughs> yes, because these are my life. <laughs> like someone could just go and remake June 2 but 2020 <laughs> I would never leave my house <laughs> oh, I've been um, playing Warface um, recently and it's really it's a good game but it's also an, an interesting game it's a good game in terms of it's first person shooter it's free quick in terms of you can get into a game and whatnot it's interesting in terms of it's not like your it's not like call of duty or battlefield as in you can you can go into a game you can shoot people and then and die the well, games c- it's more of a sort of story base isn't it where you run through a, a mission with a loose plot like there's one at Chernobyl where it, there's bad guys building AI murder drones. Yeah, you can do the story mode on this one, but, you, but not, normally people go for the multiplayer and. Oh, okay. I've only yeah. played story mode. Ah, how are you finding it so far? I really like the, the story mode. I uh, got together with a couple of friends to play through it. Nice. Nice. There's not a lot of um, cooperative FPS games out there. Yeah, that's true. I think Call of Duty were trying, were trying to implement that, weren't they? Yeah, but usually it's only one or two players. This yeah. one has uh, four players, I think, is the maximum. Yeah, but with the multiplayer on this one, it's yeah, it's it's not like Battlefield where you can you can enjoy you can have a time where you can set, set mines, you can you can throw uh, you can throw grenades, you can um you can re- reload and stuff. With this one, it's basically shoot dead, it respawn. Like it's so all... a very quick time to kill. Yeah, similar to Call of Duty, but yeah. Uh, the annoying part about this game, though, is um, like for example, with Battlefield, um, when you stab someone, you get the awesome, you get the awesome animation when you stab someone from behind. Yeah. In this one, it's you get stab, nah, nothing, there's no animation, it's just kill. That's it. Like there's no sweet, there's no like good stuff within Warface. Yeah, but okay. Yeah. It is free though, isn't it? Yeah, it's free, which is also which is a good thing. But yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, this thing, um, I I played it on the console and uh, it's okay. Yeah, I, I would love to try and play this on the PC. See how that whether the performance is t- totally different. But yeah, for this game, um, the biggest flaw, um, not only not only with the animation style, but also um, in-game currency as well. There's a lot of in-game currency in this. But anyways, I will give this game uh three and a half out of five. But yeah, would you would you like to try the console edition in at some point, Professor? Well, I don't have a console. Oh, I, I was playing Final Fantasy in my mate's place, but that's fair. Yeah, I don't have a console, so you're gonna have to get it on PC if you want to play with me. Yeah. Fair enough. All right, so on to our shout-outs. On the 15th of March, 2020, uh, graduate, stu- 
Japanese um, student graduation ceremony on now on Minecraft. So a uh, Japanese Twitter user, Baki New, uh, shared several photos and videos highlighting the in- inventive efforts of his son and his schoolmate. Baki New says his son or already regularly played um already regularly played Minecraft with his friends so it's quickly become their go-to hangout after the Japanese government closed schools 2 weeks ago in response to the coronavirus pandemic using it as a social space to hang to hold their um own graduation ceremony just makes sense it looks like these kids built a whole dang assembly hall complete with a stage, seating, and a proper red carpet with which could all walk down in order to receive their virtual diplomas. You know, I yeah. wouldn't mind graduating in Minecraft. It's probably um, probably cooler than sitting in front of the stage lights. Yeah, yeah, and the um, backdrop was also emboldened with the word "summer" to just to reinforce the end of school vibes. But uh, can you? Uh, if only they played like those um those graduation songs, like that um vitamin C graduation song at the background. I think that's just an Aussie thing. Ah, but yeah, it, it was pretty inventive, though. I would say. Um. So, anyway, so on the sixteenth of March, twenty twenty, Sonic beats Detective Pikachu in the box office. Um. So Sonic has claimed to has managed to claim a record by becoming the highest-grossing video game adaptation of all time at least at the uh, domestic box office. The uh, Paramount production currently stands at a little above $145 million domestic collection. This puts it slightly ahead of Detective Pikachu, which managed to make around $144 million domestically. Uh, But Detective Pikachu is still ahead in international territories with earnings of over $400 million. Yeah, it makes sense to me. Yeah. Sonic's a very American thing. Yeah, yeah. I think. Um, well, I think it's bigger in America than it is in Australia. Uh, I'm not sure about the rest of Europe. Yeah, I know well, Japan is it's pretty big in Japan though as well. Yeah, yeah. It might make some money, but yeah. I think also like Detective Pikachu was made by a Japanese company, wasn't it? Yeah, it's Nintendo. Come on. <laughs> yeah, but um, right, a Japanese movie company. So yeah, it might also be um advertising since it's a a local movie and not a international one in the US. Hmm. Um, so the future of our video game movies mo- appears to be looking bright now, with the medium finally being considered seriously by big Hollywood studios, which are willing to allocate huge budget and significant star power to these projects. Which is true, like the new Mortal Kombat movies are gonna be coming out soon. Yeah, what um what others? Um what's the other game movie that they're planning to come out with? Although I remember there was a new there's a Dungeons and Dragons movie that's gonna be coming out soon. Ah, uh, yes. Well, nothing will ever beat the majesty of Super Mario Brothers. <laughs> aren't they making a sequel aren't they making a remake of that movie, if cool? I haven't heard. <laughs> Um, so anyways, uh, on the 16th of March, 2020, Steam hits 20 million concurrent users, a precise number being 20,313,451. That's a lot of people. Uh, the top game as we speak is C- uh, CSGO with 971k, uh, followed by Dota 2 with 616k and PUBG with 264k. Um, now to our remembrances on the 16th of March, 1935. John McLeod, 
John James Rickard McLeod, a Scottish biochemist and physiologist, devoted his career to diverse topics in physiology and biochemistry, but was chiefly interested in carbohydrate metabolism. He is noted for his role in discovery and isolation of insulin during his tenure as a lecturer in the University of Toronto, for which he and Frederick Banting received the 1923 Nobel Prize in Physiology and Medicine. Um, he died after suffering from several years of arthritis at the age of 58 in Aberdeen. Um, on the 16th of March 2012, um, Donald E. Hillman. Uh, Donald Edison Hillman, American World War II flying ace and prisoner of war credited for five enemy aircraft destroyed. He was also the first American pilot in 1952 to make deep penetration overflight of Soviet territory for the purpose of aerial reconnaissance. He flew a Boeing B-47B Stratojet, which left Elison Air Force Base in Alaska. He crossed over the Atlantic Ocean and turned eastward back over Siberia and returned to Eilison via Providenia. It was the United States' first deep penetration reconnaissance mission against the Soviet Union. He died at the age of 93 in Seattle, Washington. Um, and on the 16th of March 2016, Alexander Esnin Volpin. Alexander Sergeyevich Esnin Volpin, a Russian-American poet and mathematician, a notable dissident, political prisoner, and a leader of the Soviet human rights movement, he spent a total of six years incarcerated and repressed by the Soviet authorities in... Oh, that's going to be a tough pronunciation. Do it. <laughs> Siku... Sikuhash, and Exile. Uh, In mathematics, he is known for his foundational role in in ultra-finitism. His role was in his early work in general uh, topology, where he introduced S9 Volpin's theorem. Most of his work was on on the foundation of mathematics, where he introduced ultra-finitism, an ultimate form, an extreme form of constructive mathematics that cast doubt on the existence of not only infinite sets, but even on large integers such as 10 to the power of 12. He died at the age of 91 in Boston. I'm sure that makes a lot of sense to mathematics people. Yep. Um, So we have on our famous birthdays, in the 16th of March, 1774, Captain Matthew Flinders, an English navigator and cartographer who led the uh, circumcircumference circumnavigation of New Holland that he would subsequently call Australia or Terra Australis and identified it as a continent. Uh, Flinders made three journeys to the Southern Ocean between 1791 and 1810. In the second voyage, George Bass and Flinders confirmed that Van Diemen's Land, now Tasmania, was an island. And in the third voyage, Flinders circumnavigated the mainland for which was to be called Australia, accompanied by an Aboriginal man, Bungari. Uh, heading back to England in 1803, Flinders' vessel needed urgent repairs in the Isle de France, uh, which is also known as Mauritius. Although Britain and France were at war, Flinders thought of the scientific nature of his work would ensure safe passage, but a suspicious governor kept him under arrest for more than six years. In captivity, he recorded details of his voyages for future publication and put forward his rationale for naming the new continent Australia as an umbrella term for New Holland and New South Wales. He was born in Donington, Lancashire. Lincolnshire, sorry. Uh, 16th of March, 1840, Shibusawa Eichi. He is known as the father of um, Japanese capitalism. He spearheaded the introduction of Western capitalism to Japan after the Meiji Restoration. Uh, he's 
He founded many um, economic reforms, including double entry accounting, modern note taking, modern note issuing banks, and joint stock corporations. He also founded um, banks and corporations, and he also introduced um, foundations of many hospitals, schools, and universities, including the first women's university, the Imperial Hotel in Tokyo, and the Japanese Red Cross. And recently, he's been announced that he'll be featured in the ten thousand yen banknote. He was born in Fukuya, Saitama. Um, on the 16th of March, 1856, Napoleon Prince Imperial, or by the full name, Napoleon Eugene Louis Jean Joseph Bonaparte, Prince Imperial. Wow, that's a very, very long surname. Yeah, you know I had to pick that just to, just to mess with you. <laughs> I know. <laughs> He's the only child of Napoleon, um, Emperor Napoleon III and his wife Eugene the Montijo. After his father was dethroned in 1873, he relocated with his family to England, and he he was proclaimed by the Bonapartist fa- uh, faction as Napoleon the Fourth, Emperor of the French. And astro- the asteroid moon Petit Prince was named after Prince Imperial in 1998 because it orbits an asteroid named after his mother, 45 Eugenia. He was born in Paris, French Empire. That's awesome, <laughs> having a mother-son combo at, uh, in space. Um, 16th of March, 1936, Raymond Damadian. Uh, Raymond Vahan Damadian, um, American physician, medical practitioner, and inventor of the first M- MR scanning machine. Damadian's research into sodium and potassium in living cells led him to the first experiments with nuclear magnetic resonance, which caused him to first propose the MR body scanner in, 19- in 1969. He discovered that tumors and normal tissue can be dis- distinguished in vivo by nuclear magnetic resonance because of their prolonged relaxation times. Uh, he also invented an apparatus and method to use NMR safely and accurately to scan the human body, a method known as magnetic resonance imaging. Uh, he went on to collaborate with Wilson uh, Greatbach, one early developer of the implantable pacemaker to ve- develop an MRI-compatible pacemaker. He was born in New York City, New York. And Alan Chu... Alan Tudyk, Alan Ray Tudyk, uh, the American actor and voice actor. He's known for his roles as Hoban Wash Washburn in the Space Western series Firefly and film Serenity and Tucker McGee in Tucker and Dale vs. Evil. He had starred roles in Dodgeball, A True, a true Underdog Story, I, Ro- I Robot, A Knight's Tale, Transformers, Dark of the Moon, and Rogue One. Since voicing King's King Candy in the 2012's Wreck-It Ralph, he has been voiced in every Walt Disney Animation film studio. Film, sorry. Um, he's wrote, directed, and starred in the comedy web series Con Man, about a struggling actor whose career is still defined by a successful science fiction TV show he was once on, loosely based on Tudyk's own experience having been on Firefly. The series aired on Sci-Fi in 2017 and earned him a Primetime Emmy nomination. As of 2019, he plays the main antagonist, Mr. Nobody, in Doom Patrol. He was born in El Paso, Texas. And he's a uh, Nathan Fillion impersonator. Ah. Nathan Fillion's role as a zombie in uh, Santa Clarita Diet was taken over by Alan Tudyk when Nathan Fillion was busy filming something else. Mm Mm-hmm. So they, they basically said part of his uh, throat's fallen out, so he can't speak right anymore. 
and they <laughs> brought in Alan to fill in. Fair enough, fair enough. And to our events of interest, on the 16th of March 1926, the first liquid-fueled rocket, uh, American Robert H. Goddard successfully launches the world's first liquid-fueled rocket in Auburn, Massachusetts on, 18th of, on March 16, 1926. Uh, the rocket traveled 2.5 seconds at a speed of 60 miles per hour, reaching an altitude of 41 feet and landing 184 feet away. The rocket was 10 feet tall and constructed out of thin pipes and was fueled by liquid oxygen and gasoline. His work was recognized by the aviator Charles A. Lindbergh, who also who helped secure him a grant from the Guggenheim Fund for the promotion of aeronautics. And he set up a testing ground in Roswell, New Mexico, which operated from 1932 to 1941, which made 31 successful flights, including one of one of a rocket that reached 1.7 miles off ground in 22.3 seconds. Um, and the importance of that is that it's basically all of our rocket technology is liquid fueled. Yeah, yeah. Right. Some things use solid boosters, but you can't beat the uh, ability to throttle a um, liquid fuel. Yeah, that's true. Uh, he would not live to see the major advances in rocketry in the 1950s and 60s that would make his dream of space travel a reality. NASA's Goddard Space Flight Center in Greenbelt, Maryland is named in his honor. Um, in on the 60s That's just of- really depressing. You know, he's the father of liquid-fueled rockets, and he died before the moon landing. Yeah. <sighs> On the 16th of March, 1968, the uh, Miley Massacre, a platoon of American soldiers brutally kill as many as 500 unarmed, unarmed civilians at Miley, one of a cluster of small villages located near the north coast of South Vietnam. The crime, which was kept secret for nearly two years later, became known as the Miley Massacre. Um, it's an absolutely nuts story as well. Yeah. Like if you find uh, one of the articles with the full account, how the um, the helicopter pilot went and put himself between the soldiers and the civilians and said, if you want to kill them, you got to go through me, basically. Yeah. Because the soldiers were just so full of bloodlust, they were killing everything, firing RPGs of cows, killing, massacring civilians. It's a horrible thing. Ah, uh, that, and no wonder that's, that might be one, of, that's one of the incidents that um, made Vietnam the most unpopular war. Yeah. And whenever there's an incident like this where lots of people are just massacred, it, the media always tries to get it out there, but the, um, someone always tries to suppress it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, for this one, yeah, until the um, investigative journalist Seymour Hirsch broke the story, and it became a scandal. And finally, on the 16th of March 2001, uh, Terminator had has a theatrical, rare theatrical re-release. On this day, 2001, the Terminator enjoyed a rare theatrical re-release in the United Kingdom. Written and directed by James Cameron, the sci-fi th- sci-fi slash thriller starred Michael Biehn and Arnold Schwarzenegger. And here's the plot summary. In 1948, a human soldier is tasked to stop an indestructible cyborg killing machine, both sent from 2029 from executing a young woman whose unborn son is the key to humanity's future salvation. Thus thus began began a very, very interesting franchise. What do you mean? It only had one sequel. (laughs) Just like Aliens. (laughs) Well, I was going to say that the the, the recent Terminator movie was... <laughs> they don't exist. Yeah, that's true. 
I refuse. You saw it, didn't you? No, I haven't. Oh, you lucky, you lucky soul. <laughs> I had the misfortune of watching it. Anyways, um, that's it for um, another episode of Nerds Amalgamated. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, iTunes, Spotify. All, all of, all of our um, contact details will be on our show notes. Um, you can also check out that's not canon where we have an archive of our old episodes, and you can also check out some of our new that's not canon podcasts. Uh, you got any um podcasts you've been listening to recently, Professor? No, I haven't actually this week. But there is a, a new one that's just come out called Rate My Bit. Yeah, I heard about that. And just judging by the thumbnail, I think it's probably uh, not um child friendly. So it is a comedy podcast. Yeah, yeah. I I I had I had listened to it a f- um a few minutes of it, and they're pretty they're pretty funny. Okay. Anyways, um, see you next time. Look after yourself, stay hydrated, don't catch coronavirus, don't cross the road without looking both ways, and we'll see you next week. (laughs) Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.